how incredibly hard it is to be bold in life and especially to be bold in our faith. How hard it is to be bold as people and to be bold as faithful people who follow a God who is extraordinarily surprising and different from the world that shapes us and that we are most likely to rely on. How hard it is to be bold. Um, I want to share with you some of the boldest things I've seen in church. And then I want you to share some with me. So think about what have you seen in church or church do out on the streets or here that you thought was bold? I think one of the... (laughs) one of the boldest things I've ever seen a church do um, was have a really hard conversation. (laughs) I was at a church um, where there were multiple staff members and um, the, it's not, it's not Urban Village, (laughs) just so, and um, the community was having a financial crisis, right? Um, And so they're looking at the budget. And there was a group of people who, in looking at the budget, thought that the only way they could move forward was to uh, get rid of one of these positions. But to the rest of the church, right, what that sounds like is get rid of one of these people, (laughs) one of these human beings. And the tension had gotten so high. I remember this was... um, one of the, this was the uh, church that I went to right out of college. Um, one of the first ones where I ever kind of like went to meetings and stuff. Before then, I'd only ever worshipped at churches. I didn't really understand that there was all of this behind-the-scenes stuff that like made church happen. Um, and I went to one of the meetings, and I was like physically afraid of a couple people who got up and turned bright red and were screaming. And the level of passion was very high. <clears throat> but they kept going. Their lay leader, she... Had the, she just maintained the most calm in conflict that I've ever seen and continued to say, it is important that everyone be heard in this room, and then it's important that we make a decision. And they kept at it. It would have been so easy, right, for half the church or the other half of the church to just leave, right, like just start a new thing. And I think there are a couple of folks who probably did, but, but as hard as it was and as much as the decision frustrated many of them, they kept at it. And then there's another kind of boldness that I've seen. I think one of the boldest things I've ever seen, I was at a church where we um, hosted an after-school program in our basement. So kids were just like flooding the area every every uh, day. And it was adorable and great. And it was through the public schools. So there was no religious content to what we were doing. We were just kind of hosting, right? Um, and providing food to kids who, it was during spring break and summer break, didn't necessarily have access to meals during breaks from school or didn't necessarily have access to play spaces during breaks from school. And it was really fun. And most of the kids uh, were not particularly religious or about half of them were Muslim. And most of them hadn't been in a church before. And one of the kids who their family... Um, you know, didn't go to church, was kind of non-religious, the mom came up to me afterwards and said, um, you know, I have never been to church, but I have something that I want you to pray for. You're the pastor here, right? And she shared a big part of her story with me, and she had every reason to, like, not trust us, right? Um, She didn't know anything about us, but she said, these people claim that they care about people. I'm going to, like, make them do it, right? I'm going to ask for my prayer, and I'm going to ask for my care, and I'm going to tell my whole story, and I'm going to ask for help. She asked for help with her family, and um, that was bold. 
And um, the, one of the harder bold things I've seen is uh, a person who lost a family member just far, far too young. Um, a person who had lost two of their children, which I think loss, um, loss is always painful, but there's something about a parent losing a child that is the um, opposite of how that should ever go, right? It's never what we want to expect. And um, uh, they asked me to be there as they told her in case she kind of reacted badly. And um, she screamed as we told her and then said, God, why did you do this to me? You should not have done this to me. And for the next several minutes and the next several days, she really called God to account. <laughs> she demanded of God um, who she loved and who she had served that, that there be some explanation for why she had had so much suffering. Um, and I don't know what answers she got, but I know that she felt intimacy in those moments and that she found a way to move forward um, in her total conviction that she was owed something out of this and that God had something to say to her about what she was going through. There's a lot of ways to be bold. There's bold in outreach. There's bold in our faith. There's bold with each other. There's bold in struggle. What are some of the things you've seen a church do or a Christian do, because it's not always the same thing, that are bold to you? church that's right by my house and I was in there and I had to vote so it was kind of awkward voting in a church that's right by my house that I know is not okay with same-sex relationships um, so I didn't even want to go in there and I anyway, I did because that's where I had to vote and so afterwards I stood there and then they were like talking to me about the church and I said well do you, how are you guys about same-sex relationships and they just, like, looked at me like a deer in headlights. They had no idea what I was talking about. They were flustering and stumbling over their words to women that worked for the church. And I said, well, is there somebody here that knows? And so they got the pastor, and I sat down with the pastor for, like, an hour and challenged him on scripture. And I straight up told him, like, do you realize that you are what's keeping so many people from Christ? Like, you are in the middle. You are the problem. So we, I mean, we had a really good conversation, and he, he ended up, we ended up having a great conversation at the end. He told me, you know, what you did is so great because the problem is that the world doesn't communicate. People don't sit down and have conversations like this, and by the end, he was, like, totally open to rethinking the way that he runs his church. Um, and so he was so shocked, and I don't know where that came from for me, and I even called Hannah after yeah. <laughs> but I would say, you know, for them to take a stand like that is bold, and in my opinion, very ignorant. But for me to challenge that, I think, was equally as bold, too. So, Yeah. I think for you to ask that question in a place where you knew you could be at risk. Yeah was a hugely bold thing to do and a Holy Spirit thing to do, right? It sounds like you were sort of inspired and centered in that moment. You needed to say something, um, and it led somewhere. We'll have to pray for him and pray for that church. Other things you've seen, admired? Um, I think that, like, 
um, from the church as a whole is more the boldness of its individuals, right? And um, the boldness of individuals to go to people who are in their spheres of influence and call them to account on things. Um, I mean, we I think we all can say that we have like people in our lives who we feel have different views or views that we disagree with, who we love uh, or who we feel are important. Um, but how often are we really bold um, to call them to account and to uh, force the tough conversations? Um, because otherwise, how else are they going to hear? How else are they going to have their, um, their views challenged and their minds changed? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We were talking before church started this morning about how when we talk to people about being a Christian, we almost have to prove that we're also smart. <laughs> <laughs> like we're actually intellectuals, or we we're not just like going to start reading scripture at you and saying you're gross because you're not the ABCDFG. And we were talking about that a lot, and I was thinking about how I have a group of beautiful lesbian friends that my wife and I. FaceTime date with, they're in San Francisco, and so like all six of us were just like talking, and I kind of came out to them uh, as a Christian this weekend, yesterday, um, which is hilarious. Um, yeah. But like, I was like, so you guys, you know, I'm just sing in church, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, but like, I'm like super into it, like the actual Jesus stuff is too, it's like, I can't I'm like for real about it, yeah. Like, and, I, and they're all sort of like, Huge eye emoticon, like what? Um, and I'm like, yeah, like I'm actually a, like a real Christian again. And they're like, oh, I'm like, but like it's not this. It's actually this, and it's still me, but it's this. And they're like, that's great, BA. We're super happy. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really kind of ridiculous. But anybody else had this experience? We had a know-and-be-known dinner a couple weeks ago uh, that sort of happened to be uh, mostly queer-identifying folks, and they were all talking about this, like, especially a lot of people who are dating, right? Like, when do I talk about the fact that I'm a Christian? <laughs> like, when do I bring it up? <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, we've earned that. I'm not going to, like, talk about that as persecution. The church has earned that, but individuals have not earned that, and it takes boldness on an individual level to, to be faithful. And where does our boldness come from? Where does our boldness come from? Our boldness comes from a Jesus who needed to be bold in every single moment of his life. And we're so afraid, we're so afraid of that part of Jesus, right? The part that is bold, not just publicly, but personally. Um, when I think of Jesus' boldness, I do think of Jesus challenging the emperor and breaking the rules of the temple and all of that stuff. But I most of all think of Jesus the night before he died, praying to his father, take this cup from me. Right? Just like being honest about how scary it was and still and still moving forward because he believed it to be right because of his relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And I, this Peter passage says... Uh, that trust is what gets Jesus through. Um, it talks about Jesus as being a trusting person. When the temptation is so often for us to talk about Jesus as a perfect person, right? He like resists temptation and does all this other awesome stuff because he's just really great. Um, this says Jesus managed to do that because of Jesus' trust. It was hard for Jesus too, right? There were challenges for Jesus too. There were obstacles to having that kind of faith um, and Jesus did it. And and we have told such a story. Um, 
when the immigrant ban came out, Al Sharpton uh, tweeted or something, right, Jesus was a refugee, which... However, you, whether or not you think that's relevant to the current political situation, I certainly do, uh, relevant to our call to, to be there for all immigrants and especially refugees, it's, it's pretty, like, literally true from the Bible, right? Like, people threatened to kill all the babies, and so his family fled to another country. Refugee. Um, and, uh, but I was shocked to see all of this um, pushback and all of these comments saying, no, 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 Jesus is Jesus, Jesus can't have been a refugee, right? And there's, and you look back and you see it in the very first days of Christianity. Peter actually is quite uncomfortable with Jesus's message. Oh, like dying? That seems like not a super Jesus thing to do, right? Even if Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Even if Jesus is saying, that's what I did. Death was a real sign of weakness, right? And so people were very uncomfortable with this idea that this person who they loved, this person who they believed to be a part of God, could have experienced that much suffering and weakness. That suffering and weakness, that marginal position, was considered to be something shameful. And so people have this understandable, although inaccurate, I think resistance to the weak parts of Jesus, to the... Um, to the parts of God that, that our society tells us should give us shame. When Peter talks about the cornerstone in this Bible passage, he's talking about a real stone, a specific stone. When he says the stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone, it's not like a proverb. When they built the temple, so, that, so the temple, in case any of you don't know, right, the main source of worship, the house of God in Jerusalem, which had been first built about a thousand years before this time of Jesus and his disciples, and then was destroyed by uh, emperors and invaders 500 years later, and then was rebuilt and was destroyed again shortly after the, the um, death of Jesus. So it was a, a both huge, huge place of faith and ritual and power for, for Peter and for his people, and a place of great sorrow because it was continuously attacked and destroyed as a part of their life, right? Um, the cornerstone refers to a stone that they got out to build the temple with in the time of Solomon that the story went, um, they had said, oh, that's not, like, the stone isn't, you know, it's not quite smooth enough, it's not quite whatever enough um, to be a part of the temple foundation. Don't let it be a part of the temple foundation. And then it became instead a part of the porch on the east side. And if we have a picture of the temple, which I think we do, um, a part of the porch on the east side uh, where people could sit and talk, and it would be a public place. And it became the cornerstone of that porch. And in the first destruction of the temple, the only thing to survive was that portico, which is called Solomon's Porch. So sometimes you run across churches that are called Solomon's Porch or blogs that are called Solomon's Porch. It's talking about this part, which is when everything was destroyed, when we thought that everything was lost, not everything was lost. This part still remained, right? Some remnant of our faith remained, um, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the cornerstone, that even when we think everything is lost, even when we think everything is terrible, God has loved us, and God has chosen us, and there are good things left. There are good things left in the world, and there are things left in the world to build on, to build on, to rebuild on, and to speak on, and to share on, and, and to love um, this porch became, in the time of Jesus, a place where he preached several times. It's a place where Peter healed someone. Um, it's 
it's a place where we meet each other. We think that we're not good enough, right? We think that um, we're the marginal people or the messy people or the not faithful enough people, but God actually has said, like, I will make out of you something great, and I have already made you to be wonderful. I made you from moment one. Our boldness doesn't come from um, our personality (laughs) or us achieving perfect faith. Our boldness comes directly from a God who is bold enough to say, every single one of you matters. And you can be who I made you to be. You can be who I made you to be individually, and you can be who I made you to be together, which is a people who reconcile, and a people who love, and a people who care, and a people who get through hard things and live in suffering together, who share it when it's necessary and eliminate it when they can. Pastor talks a lot about suffering, about the fact that um, what it means to join with Jesus is to join in Jesus' suffering. And, and there's been um, hard versions of that, I think, that say that sort of say that what it means to be faithful is to like seek out suffering, right? To sort of be a martyr you haven't really lived until you've like uh, hurt yourself. Um, but I, I think it's saying something different, which is the plain simple fact that most of us know that life is suffering, <laughs> that life contains suffering. It's also many things. It's also joy and it's also hope and it's also um, extraordinary surprise, but it is suffering to be alive <laughs> and to be disappointed and to have loss and to have relationships end and to have things not go the way that we thought, right? We shared a little bit in suffering earlier today when, when he fell, because you fall, right? Like, you fall. It's a part of life. Last night, my daughter, um, she has a favorite plastic knife that she uses to cut plastic food, and she dropped it into the toilet, and it's gone now. <laughs> like, it's, it lives underground. And I watched her... I watched her experience loss for the first time. Like, I watched her sort of understand, because she can talk now. We were like, oh, sorry, honey. Like, knife gone, gone. Knife bye-bye. And her eyes just started to well up with tears. (laughs) Knife gone? Knife bye-bye? Yeah, right? And that's, that's like, just not going to be the last time. It's just not going to be the last time that she loses something or is hurt by the world, especially not in a world that also... uh, tells whole big, huge categories of us that we aren't real (laughs) and that we don't matter, Um, where oppression joins personal loss. Like, all of us are going to experience pain and suffering. And the point is not to say, deal with it. The point is to say, join together in it, right? That when... When Jesus suffered, it was in community, and people were there at the foot, and people were praying with him, and he told his friends about it because he was scared. And that when we join together in our pain or just in our confusion and not knowing, that is what boldness looks like. Boldness is not certainty. Boldness is the boldness of a true faith in God that undergirds us at all times and that tells us that we can call on God in everything that ever happens to us and that part of calling on God is calling on each other. We've lost a little bit. Um, The God of the Bible is many things that make me feel uncomfortable, but that's part of the point. And God is a God of smoke and flame and drama and miracles. And I I think we've lost some of that because it makes us uncomfortable, but it's still true. 
I have this, I, I'm not that into jewelry or makeup. I've never particularly understood it or been good at it, and so I don't really wear it. Um, but other people are, and it looks great, and it's awesome. I'm not down on it. But it means that the only jewelry I really wear are, like, talismans, basically. So I wear this ring because it's a talisman of my marriage. And I have a necklace that I wear um, because the various parts of it have come from different parts of my faith when God taught me different things. And, um, just because I know you're going to be, like, staring at my neck unless I show you pictures of it, I just want to tell you a little bit. So, so this first one I got um, at the very beginning of seminary. It says in Hebrew, Ruach HaKodesh, which is, uh, like, we would translate it now as Holy Spirit, but it means breath of God, right? That the, what the Holy Spirit is um, is an issuing forth from God that in every moment God is present, and God is real to us, and God's breath is making new life. No matter how much the temple is destroyed, no matter how much we are hurt, no matter how much we are lost, no matter how much pain we are in, there is recovery, and there is resurrection, and there is hope, and there are cornerstones that cannot be broken up, right? that remain in our hearts and in our lives. And part of that is this breath that continues to help us to live, that we don't just survive, but that we thrive and that God continues to be with us. Um, and I learned that when um, I was just going through rough times. See, we can be silly even after we get hurt. Um, just This was probably the first time that I like reckoned with the fact that all of my, what I would have described prior as uh, I feel guilty about stuff sometimes was actually like chronic clinical depression <laughs> that not everybody uh, sort of went home and was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to send that email and then like thought about it for three hours and like hated themselves that maybe that wasn't like typical. Um, I was dealing with that for the first time and the breath of life was what helped me stay in it. And the second one um, says, Ako ay anak ng Dios in, in Filipino. I was serving a Filipino church and it says, I am a child of God and we did these for confirmation. Um, and in that confirmation class, I was taught about this extraordinary faith of kids who had really uh, experienced more loss than kids should experience. And the way that they showed up for each other was so incredibly joyful and kind. Um, and so I remember, they are children of God. I am a child of God. We are children of God. And when I got here, I was just kind of wearing that uh, when I got to Urban Village. And I realized that I kind of had uh, the Holy Spirit and God, and I was missing Jesus still, right? And so I'd been thinking for a while about, do I want a Jesus part of it? And i just gotten here, and I knew that this was going to be a wonderful place, and I knew that Urban Village was going to teach me a lot. And so I got a new one, uh, which has a little cross on it, and which says, boldly rooted, Boldly rooted, which all of you have heard our liturgists say over and over again, boldly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because being bold is not about being evil Knievel, right? Being bold is not like, I can jump off the highest high dive. I can do the scariest thing. It's being boldly rooted in a God who was bold before we could speak. It's being boldly rooted in a Jesus who knew what suffering was before we ever had our first loss. It's being boldly rooted in a Holy Spirit who is with us through the hardest and the best of times and who says, I care about your faith and I care about your soul and I care about your spirit. 
And we aren't inclusive because it's politically correct. We're inclusive because God told us that God made everybody. And we aren't relevant because it makes it sexy to talk about, right, what's actually happening to us. We think that God cares about what actually happens to us. That everything we do does not outflow out of some effort to see how people look at us or respond to us, but from the fact that we have encountered a God who is extraordinary and we think that that God is inviting us to something. It's rooted in Jesus who did things that I still don't understand and I never will. The story of Jesus is weird. The identity of God is weird and it's not understandable, but I know that it's real, not because of logic, but because my heart jumps when I pray. (laughs) But because God has changed my life and told me to do things, and then when I did them, it was good. I have had visions from God, right? Here's my coming out story. Uh, That's not how God works for everybody, but it is something that happens. I know people who have moved entire states because they were following some little inkling in the back of their head about who God wanted them to be. For you, it might be in your neighborhood or in your friend group or here in this church, but God is calling you, God is seeking you, and God does big, bold, amazing things. You can be bold not because of your personality or who you are. You can be bold not in the streets or in your home, but whichever one, because God is bold. God is bold enough to make us and say that we are God's people and we can do great things, and so we should be bold enough to trust God and to believe it. So how are you rooted, and how are you rooted boldly? Where are you spiritually? I would invite you to ask these questions over the course of the next week Um, because we want to help, but also you can help each other, right, as we do this thing called growing with the God who loves us.